Letter 102, Part 2 of Pamela, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, Volume 2 by Samuel Richardson. Letter 102, Part 2. I bowed to Mrs. Towers, and knowing she praised me with the dean's view, in order to induce the young ladies to give the greater attention to what she wished me to speak, I said, it would be a great presumption in me, after so high a compliment, to open my lips. Nevertheless, as I was sure, by speaking I should have the benefit of instruction, whenever it made them speak, I would not be backward to enter upon any subject, for that I should consider myself as a young counsel in some great cause who served but to open it and prepare the way for those of greater skill and abilities. I beg then, madam, said Miss Stapleton, you will open the cause, be the subject what it will, and I could almost wish that we had as many gentlemen here as ladies who would have reason to be ashamed of the liberties they take in censuring the conversations of the tea-table, since the pulpit, as the worthy dean gives us reason to hope, may be beholden to that of Mrs. B. Nor is it much wonder, replied I, when the dean himself is with us, and it is graced by so distinguished a circle. If many of our young gentlemen were here, said Mrs. Towers, they might improve themselves in all the graces of polite and sincere complacence. But compared to this, I have generally heard such trite and coarse stuff from our race of would-be wits that what they say may be compared to the fawnings and salutations of the ass in the fable who, emulating the lapdog, merited a cudgel rather than encouragement. But Mrs. B., continued she, begin, I pray you, to open and proceed in the cause, for there will be no counsel employed but you, I can tell you. Then give me a subject that will suit me, ladies, and you shall see how my obedience to your commands will make me run on. Will you, madam, said Miss Stapleton, give us a few cautions and instructions on a theme of your own, that a young lady should rather fear too much than hope too much, a necessary doctrine, perhaps, but a difficult one to be practised by one who has begun to love and who supposes all truth and honour in the object of her favour. Hope, madam, said I, in my opinion, should never be unaccompanied by fear, and the more reason will a lady ever have to fear and to suspect herself and doubt her lover when she once begins to find in her own breast an inclination to him, for then her danger is doubled, since she has herself, perhaps the more dangerous enemy of the two, to guard against as well as him. She may secretly wish the best indeed, but what has been the fate of others may be her own, and though she thinks it not probable from such a faithful protester as he appears to her to be, yet while it is possible she should never be off her guard nor will a prudent woman trust to his mercy or honour, but to her own discretion, and the rather because, if he mean well, he himself will value her the more for her caution, since every man desires to have a virtuous and prudent wife. If not well, she will detect him the sooner, 
and so by her prudence frustrate all his base designs but let me my dear ladies ask what that passion is which generally we dignify by the name of love and which when so dignified puts us upon a thousand extravagances i believe if examined into it would be found too generally to owe its original to ungoverned fancy and were we to judge of it by the consequences that usually attend it it ought rather to be called rashness inconsideration weakness and anything but love for very seldom i doubt is the solid judgment so much concerned in it as the airy fancy but when once we dignify the wild misleader with the name of love all the absurdities which we read in novels and romances take place and we are induced to follow examples that seldom end happily but in them but permit me further to observe that love as we call it operates differently in the two sexes as to its effects for in woman it is a creeping thing in a man an encroacher and this ought in my humble opinion to be very seriously attended to miss sutton intimated thus much when she observed that it was the man's province to ask the ladies to deny excuse me madam the observation was just as to the men's notions although methinks i would not have a lady allow of it except in cases of caution to themselves the doubt therefore which a lady has of her lover's honour is needful to preserve her own and his too and if she does him wrong and he should be too just to deceive her she can make him amends by instances of greater confidence when she pleases but if she has been accustomed to grant him little favours can she easily recall them and will not the encroacher grow upon her indulgence pleading for a favour to-day which was not refused him yesterday and reproaching her want of confidence as a want of esteem till the poor lady who perhaps has given way to the creeping insinuating passion and has avowed her esteem for him puts herself too much in his power in order to manifest as she thinks the generosity of her affection and so by degrees is carried farther than she intended or nice honour ought to have permitted and all because to keep up to my theme she hopes too much and doubts too little and there have been cases where a man himself pursuing the dictates of his encroaching passion and finding a lady too conceding has taken advantages of which probably at first he did not presume to think miss stapleton said that virtue itself spoke when i spoke and she was resolved to recollect as much of this conversation as she could and write it down in her commonplace book where it would make a better figure than anything she had there i suppose miss said mrs towers your chief collections are flowers of rhetoric picked up from the french and english poets and novel writers I would give something for the pleasure of having it two hours in my possession. Fie, madam, replied she, a little abashed, how can you expose your kinswoman thus before the dean and Mrs. B? Mrs. Tower, said I, only says this to provoke you to show your collections. 
I wish I had the pleasure of seeing them. I doubt not but your commonplace book is a storehouse of wisdom. There is nothing bad in it, I hope, replied she, but I would not that Mrs. B. should see it for the world. But, madam, to Mrs. Towers, there are many beautiful things and good instructions to be collected from novels and plays and romances, and from the poetical writers, particularly light as you are pleased to make of them. Pray, madam, to me, have you ever been at all conversant in such writers? Not a great deal in the former. There were very few novels and romances that my lady would permit me to read, and those I did gave me no great pleasure, for either they dealt so much in the marvellous and improbable, or were so unnaturally inflaming to the passions, and so full of love and intrigue, that most of them seemed calculated to fire the imagination, rather than to inform the judgment. Titles and tournaments, breaking of spears in honour of a mistress, engaging with monsters, rambling in search of adventures, making unnatural difficulties, in order to show the knight-errant's prowess in overcoming them, is all that is required to constitute the hero in such pieces. And what principally distinguishes the character of the heroine is, when she is taught to consider her father's house as an enchanted castle, and her lover as the hero who is to dissolve the charm and to set at liberty from one confinement in order to put her into another, and to, probably a worse, to instruct her how to climb walls, leap precipices, and do twenty other extravagant things, in order to show the mad strength of a passion she ought to be ashamed of, to make parents and guardians pass for tyrants, the voice of reason to be drowned in that of indiscreet love, which exalts the other sex and debases her own. And what is the instruction that can be gathered from such pieces for the conduct of common life? Then have I been ready to quarrel with these writers for another reason, and that is the dangerous notion which they hardly ever fail to propagate of a first-sight love, for there is such a susceptibility supposed on both sides, which, however it may pass in a man, very little becomes the female delicacy that they are smitten with a glance. The fictitious blind god is made a real divinity, and too often prudence and discretion are the first offerings at his shrine." i believe madam said miss stapleton blushing and playing with her fan there have been many instances of people's loving at first sight which have ended very happily no doubt of it replied i but there are three chances to one that so precipitate a liking does not for where can be the room for caution inquiry the display of merit and sincerity and even the assurance of a grateful return to a lady who thus suffers herself to be prepossessed. Is it not a random shot? Is it not a proof of weakness? Is it not giving up the negative voice which belongs to the sex, even while she is not sure of meeting with the affirmative one from him, whose affection she wishes to engage? Indeed, ladies, continued I, I cannot help concluding, and I am the less afraid of speaking my mind because of the opinion I have of the prudence of every lady that hears me, that where this weakness is found it is no way favourable to a lady's character, 
nor to that discretion which ought to distinguish it. It looks to me as if a lady's heart were too much in the power of her eye, and that she had permitted her fancy to be much more busy than her judgment. Miss Stapleton blushed and looked around her. But I observe, said Mrs. Towers, whenever you censure any indiscretion, you seldom fail to give cautions how to avoid it. And pray let us know what is to be done in this case, that is to say, how a young lady ought to guard against and overcome the first favorable impressions. What I imagine, replied I, a young lady ought to do on any the least favorable impressions of the kind is immediately to withdraw into herself, as one may say, to reflect upon what she owes to her parents, to her family, to her character, and to her sex, and to resolve to check such a random prepossession, which may much more probably, as I hinted, make her a prey to the undeserving than otherwise, as there are so many of that character to one man of real merit. The most that I apprehend a first-sight approbation can do is to inspire a liking, and a liking is conquerable, if the person will not brood over it till she hatches it into love. Then every man and woman has a black and a white side, and it is easy to set the imperfections of the person against the supposed perfections, while it is only a liking. But if the busy fancy be permitted to work as it pleases, uncontrolled, then tis very likely were the lady but to keep herself in countenance for receiving first impressions, she will see perfections in the object which no other living soul can. And it may be expected that as a consequence of her first indiscretion, she will confirm, as an act of her judgment, what her wild and ungoverned fancy had misled her to think of with so much partial favor. And too late, as it probably may happen, she will see and lament her fatal and perhaps undutiful error. We are talking of the ladies only, added I, for I saw Miss Stapleton was become very grave, but I believe first sight love often operates too powerfully in both sexes, and where it does so it will be very lucky if either gentleman or lady find reason on cool reflection to approve a choice which they were so ready to make without thought. "'Tis allowed,' said Mrs. Towers, "'that rash and precipitate love may operate pretty much alike "'in the rash and precipitate of both sexes, "'and whichsoever loves generally exalts the person "'beloved above his or her merits. "'But I am desirous, for the sake of us maiden ladies, "'since it is a science in which you are so great and adept, "'to have your advice how we should watch and guard its first encroachments.' and that you will tell us what you apprehend gives the men most advantage over us. Nay, now, Mrs. Towers, you rally my presumption indeed. I admire you, madam, replied she, and everything you say and do, and I won't forgive you to call what I so seriously say and think raillery. For my own part, continued she, I never was in love yet, nor, I believe, were any of these young ladies. Miss Cope, looked a little silly upon this, and who can better instruct us to guard our hearts than a lady who has so well defended her own? 
Why then, madam, if I must speak, I think what gives the other sex the greatest advantage over even many of the most deserving ones is that dangerous foible, the love of praise, and the desire to be flattered and admired, a passion I have observed to predominate more or less from sixteen to sixty in most of our sex. We are too generally delighted with the company of those who extol our graces of person or mind, for will not a grateful lady study hard to return a few compliments to a gentleman who makes her so many? She is concerned to prove him a man of distinguished sense, or a polite man at least in regard to what she thinks of herself, and so the flatterer shall be preferred to such of the sincere and worthy as cannot say what they do not think. And by this means many an excellent lady has fallen a prey to some sordid designer. Then I think nothing can give gentlemen so much advantage over our sex as to see how readily a virtuous lady can forgive the capital faults of the most abandoned of the other, and that sad, sad notion that a reformed rake makes the best husband, a notion that has done more hurt and discredit, too, to our sex, as it has given more encouragement to the profligate and more discouragement to the sober gentleman than can be easily imagined. A fine thing, indeed, as if the wretch who had run through a course of iniquity to the endangering of soul and body was to be deemed the best companion for life to an innocent and virtuous young lady who is to owe the kindness of his treatment to her to his having never before accompanied with a modest woman, nor till his interest on one hand, to which his extravagance perhaps compels him to attend, and his impaired constitution on the other, oblige him to it, so much as wished to accompany with one, and who always made a jest of the marriage state, and perhaps of everything, either serious or sacred. You observe very well, said Mrs. Towers, but people will be apt to think that you have less reason than any of our sex to be severe against such a notion, for who was a greater rake than a certain gentleman, and who is a better husband? Madam, replied I, the gentleman you mean never was a common town rake. He is a man of sense and fine understanding, and his reformation, secondarily, as I may say, has been the natural effect of those extraordinary qualities. But also I will presume to say that that gentleman, as he has not many equals in the nobleness of his nature, so he is not likely, I doubt, to have many followers, in a reformation begun in the bloom of youth, upon self-conviction, and altogether, humanly speaking, spontaneous. Those ladies who would plead his example in support of this pernicious notion, should find out the same generous qualities in the man before they trust to it. And it will then do less harm, though even then I could not wish it to be generally entertained. It is really unaccountable, said Mrs. Towers. After all, as Mrs. B., I remember, said on another occasion that our sex should not as much insist upon virtue and sobriety in the character of a man as a man be he ever such a rake, does in that of a lady. And tis certainly a great encouragement to 
libertinism that a worn-out debauchee should think himself at any time good enough for a husband and have the confidence to imagine that a modest woman will accept of his address with a preference of him to any other i can account for it but one way said the dean and that is that a modest woman is apt to be diffident of her own merit and understanding and she thinks this diffidence an imperfection a rake never is troubled with it so he has in perfection a quality she thinks she wants and knowing too little of the world imagines she mends the matter by accepting of one who knows too much that's well observed mr dean said mrs towers but there is another fault in our sex which mrs b has not touched upon and that is the foolish vanity some women have in the hopes of reforming a wild fellow and that they shall be able to do more than any of their sex before them could do a vanity that often costs them dear as i know in more than one instance another weakness said i might be produced against some of our sex who join too readily to droll upon and sneer at the misfortune of any poor young creature who has shown too little regard for her honour and who instead of speaking of it with concern and inveighing against the seducer too lightly sport with the unhappy person's fall industriously spread the knowledge of it i would not look upon miss sutton while i spoke this and avoid her as one infected and yet scruple not to admit into their company the vile aggressor and even to smile with him at his barbarous jests upon the poor sufferer of their own sex i have known three or four instances of this in my time said mrs towers that miss sutton might not take it to herself for she looked down and was a little serious this replied i puts me in mind of a little humorous copy of verses written as i believe by mr b and which to the very purpose we are speaking of he calls benefit of making others misfortunes our own thou'st heard it or read it a million of times that men are made up of falsehood and crimes search all the old authors and ransack the new thou'lt find in love stories scarce one mortal true then why this complaining and why this wry face is it cause thou'rt affected most with thy own case hadst thou sooner made others misfortunes thy own thou never thyself this disaster hadst known thy compassionate caution had kept thee from evil and thou mightst have defied mankind and the devil the ladies were pleased with the lines but mrs towers wanted to know at what time of mr b s life they could be written because added she i never suspected before that the good gentleman ever took pains to write cautions or exhortations to our sex to avoid the delusions of his own these verses and these facetious but severe remarks of mrs towers made every young lady look up with a cheerful countenance because it pushed the ball from self and the dean said to his daughter so my dear you that have been so attentive must let us know what useful inferences you can draw from what mrs b and the other ladies so excellently said 
I observe, sir, from the faults the ladies have so justly imputed to some of our sex, that the advantage the gentlemen chiefly have over us is from our own weakness, and that it behooves a prudent woman to guard against first impressions of favour, since she will think herself obliged, in compliment to her own judgment, to find reasons, if possible, to confirm them. But I wish to know if there be any way that a woman can judge whether a man means honourably or not in his address to her. Mrs. B. can best inform you of that, Miss L., said Mrs. Towers. What say you, Mrs. B.? There are a few signs, answered I, easy to be known, and I think almost infallible. Pray let's have them, said Lady Arthur, and they all were very attentive. I lay it down as an undoubted truth, said I, that true love is one of the most respectful things in the world. It strikes with awe and reverence the mind of the man who boasts its impressions. It is chaste and pure in word and deed, and cannot bear to have the least indecency mingled with it. If, therefore, a man, be his birth or quality what it will, the higher, the worse, presume to wound a lady's ears with indecent words. If he endeavor in his expressions or sentiments to convey gross or impure ideas to her mind, if he is continually pressing for her confidence in his honor, if he requests favors which a lady ought to refuse, if he can be regardless of his conduct or behavior to her, if he can use boisterous or rude freedoms either to her person or dress. Here poor Miss Cope, by her blushes, bore witness to her case. If he avoids speaking of marriage, when he has a fair opportunity of doing it, here Miss L. looked down and blushed, or leaves it once to a lady to wonder that he does not, in any or in all these cases he is to be suspected, and a lady can have little hope of such a person, nor, as I humbly apprehend, consistent with honour and discretion, encourage his address. The ladies were so kind as to applaud all I said, and so did the dean. Miss Stapleton, Miss Cope, and Miss L. were to write down what they could remember of the conversation, and our noble guests, coming in soon after, with Mr. B., the ladies would have departed, but he prevailed upon them to pass the evening, and Miss L., who had an admirable finger on the harpsichord, as I have before said, obliged us with two or three lessons. Each of the ladies did the like, and prevailed upon me to play a tune or two, but Miss Cope, as well as Miss L., surpassed me much. We all sung, too, in turns, and Mr. B. took the violin in which he excels. Lord Davers obliged us on the violoncello. Mr. H. played on the German flute and sung us a fop song and performed it in character, so that we had an exceeding gay evening and parted with great satisfaction on all sides, particularly on the young ladies, for this put them all in good humor and good spirits, enlivening the former scene which otherwise might have closed, perhaps more gravely than efficaciously. The distance of time since this conversation passed enables me to add what I could not do when I wrote the account of it, which you have mislaid, and which take briefly as follows. Miss Stapleton was as good as her word, and wrote down all she could recollect of the conversation, and I, having already sent her the letter she desired containing my observations upon the flighty style she so much admired, 
It had such an effect upon her as to turn the course of her reading and studies to weightier and more solid subjects, and avoiding the gentleman she had begun to favor, gave way to her parents' recommendations, and is happily married to Sir Jonathan Barnes. Miss Cope came to me a week after, with the leave of both her parents, and tarried with me three days, in which time she opened all her heart to me, and returned in such a disposition and with such resolutions that she never would see her peer again, nor receive letters from him which she owned to me she had done clandestinely before, and she is now the happy lady of Sir Michael Beaumont, who makes her the best of husbands, and permits her to follow her charitable inclinations according to a scheme which she consulted me upon." miss l by the dean's indulgent prudence and discretion has escaped her rake and upon the discovery of an intrigue he was carrying on with another conceived a just abhorrence of him and is since married to dr jenkins as you know with whom she lives very happily miss sutton is not quite so well off as the three former though not altogether so unhappy neither in her way she could not indeed conquer her love of dress and tinsel and so became the lady of colonel wilson and they are thus far easy in the marriage state that being seldom together they have probably a multitude of misunderstandings for the colonel loves gaming in which he is generally a winner and so passes his time mostly in town his lady has her pleasures neither laudable nor criminal ones which she pursues in the country and now and then a letter passes on both sides by the inscription and subscription of which they remind one another that they have been once in their lives at one church together and what now my dear lady g have i to add to this tedious account for letter i can hardly call it but that i am with great affection your true friend and servant p b end of letter one hundred and two part two